another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to The Gathering Songs, The Dark Crystal Discussions. The story runs deeper than you know, and you are part of it. And what are those funny marks? This is all writing. What's writing? The words that stay. When single shines the triple sun. Of your sundered and undone shall behold the two made one. And here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to The Gathering Songs. I'm your host, Phil Mitchell. I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. Um, on this episode, we we actually start discussing about The Shadows of the Dark Crystal, which was a young adult novel um, that was written by J.M. Lee that was part of the author quest. And this episode was originally released as Trial by Stone on episode 34 that was released on the 8th of April 2017. So right now we're just re-releasing these old episodes to put them under the Gathering Songs banner. And so, I mean, after our discussion on Shadows, we we continue on uh, to chat about the Song of the Dark Crystal. So if you're new to the show, just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. Um, and if you have listened to this before, um, I mean, it's still worth, I think, checking it out. And um, yeah, I certainly hope um, you enjoy the, our um, discussion on the Shadows of the Dark Crystal, and this is our first part of the dis- of the discussion. So today, uh, or this month, uh, we're going to discuss about uh, the the Shadows of the Dark Crystal, uh, which is a young adult novel that came out uh, mid last year, uh, written by J M Lee, uh, who won the the very first sort of um. Uh, uh, the the author quest uh, that was part of the contest uh, writing contest for darkcrystal.com and for winning it he got to the chance to to write a story a prequel um, to the dark crystal and and this is sort of the result of of the story uh, shadows of the dark crystal which is now um, which will be a a four novel uh, book series, uh, so which is very exciting. So you know, there's going to be a lot of um, dark crystal stories uh, in um, uh, in novel form. That's for certain. So first of all, I just want to introduce everyone uh, for this uh, special roundtable. Uh, just like to introduce uh, Peter, Peter M. Uh, thank you for um, coming on the the roundtable. Thanks very much. I'm really happy to be here today and see everybody again. Absolutely. And then, of course, we've got uh, Douglas Benjamin Fisher, but here on the show, we'll call him Fish. So, Fish, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. And, of course, we've got um, uh, Nancy Gray. Nancy, just want to say thanks for being on the show. Thank Thank you for having me. Very excited. Thank you. And, and of course... Um, my co-host uh bland garrett so bland thanks for being on the show and oh definitely glad to be here and glad to get into this discussion yes uh, absolutely um yeah it's, it's it was very exciting um yeah when the book came out and you know got the chance to yeah to read it and um and yeah so basically uh for this round table uh we've decided to um i guess if you if you're new new to the show 
Um, you can listen to our previous uh, roundtable discussions that we've had in the past, um, in particular with the graphic novel uh, creation myths. That's um, that you, you know that's from um, where you know you probably heard Peter and Doug and Nancy, and we've had a lot of other um, guests uh, to talk about the to do with the Dark Crystal um, uh, creation myths, the graphic novels. So definitely check check them out. Um, they're great fun, but let's go back to shadows and, um, and, this, and yeah. shadows, um, I just wanted to say shadows does tie into creation bits. Um, he, he actually has, um, some connections to the storyline. So there's, it, it, it'd probably be a good idea if, if you are interested in reading shadows of the dark crystal to, you know, read creation myths because it does tie into that. Yes, absolutely, and I, and I think probably one that I mean we might as well yeah get right deep into the discussion. Um, and and that's something that was mentioned um sort of before chapter one of um Shadows of the Dark Crystal was sort of um the passage, um from Creation Miss. Um, at first there was silence, and then the song began, uh, which which I thought was yeah a very nice nod um, uh, to the Creation Miss um which is, I think that's a passage. I think that's on chapter two, actually. Um, yeah, so I thought that was, um, yeah. Um, another thing I'd like to recommend for listeners is to read the um, PDF file um, from darkcrystal.com, the Gelfling Gathering, which we've been discussing on the podcast. Um, it's a really good, um, it, it, it'll set it up really well because you'll get to learn about the different Gelfling clans and all the, the other Skeksis and kind of how they are as far as their um, strength and virility and power over the whole world at this moment and um, how the Gelfling really don't know much about the Skeksis. They, they don't know their connection with the mystics. Um, there's, some rumors going around because it's right at the moment where things start to happen. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, and that... the, word, the, the truth is about to come out, like the real truth and not the Skeksis truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's something I, I think I'm sort of interested to go into um, a little bit about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, yeah, so I mean, with chapter one, it just starts with, um, uh, with Tavra, um, who's uh, visiting the Drenchen clan, and and we find out that she's a vapor, um, and um, yeah, just off to see uh, the old Moldra of uh, the uh, Sog uh, clan, uh, Um So, um, and I guess that's the the other thing which um, I did when I was uh, just quickly, you know, reading it. Um, last night um that especially i think the first two chapters there's actually not a lot of dialogue like for me like as a filmmaker i'm used to like you know reading scripts and stuff so i thought oh, i'd be curious to see how how you know how it played through you know we're just uh reading the dialogue and i think you know even though it's like it's a you know i think the first two chapters were very um uh, descriptive um of the world but of course that's sort of they um you know that's sort of to set up i guess uh for things to come in the story right right it's uh, very important for fantasy 
that was one of the things I actually liked about this book was the fact that he seemed to set up the scene so realistically that you could kind of see it. You know, because especially because the clans are so different. And um, he, I think he painted a really good picture of um, the uh, Drenchen clan. Yeah. And the differences between the two, between the Vapra and the Drenchen. Yeah, as introductions go, I thought it was a great, gentle introduction. Uh, I uh, thought of it after I'd read the first three chapters as somebody gently drawing aside the curtain and saying, here we are again. But here's some really neat detail that you haven't seen before. So welcome back. Or if you're new here, here's something that mm -hmm. uh, enjoy, and it's not overwhelming. Right. I, I really liked how this, I like the language that he used. Like, yes, it is a young adult novel, but it seems to me more like it's an all age novel. Because the, for me, I don't read a lot. I don't tend to have a lot of time, but... It seems like this was a quick read, and so the the language still captivated me. I didn't feel like I was reading a children's book. He he has a very that's, colorful that's, use. That's a, yeah, yeah, that's exactly the way I felt. It was very easy reading. I'm not the most well-read individual of all time, but uh, I thought this was very easy reading. And kind of like was mentioned before, it definitely felt like a homecoming to a degree. It's like, oh yeah, I know this place. I remember this place well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm also sort of in that same boat um, as well. Like, I don't do an awful a uh, lot of reading as well and yeah i did felt um yeah it was very easy to sort of follow through it um and even sort of like imagine um um these scenarios like in my head and also i guess um i guess you know with the whole um language i guess of the dark crystal um the dialogue is always very um i i'd, I'd like probably best way is very simple so so yeah. the fact that it's sort of incorporated into um the the young adult novel um, actually seems to be sort of a good fit, um, a good mold. Um, yes. Yeah. For the, for the uh, book mm -hmm. yeah, series. Yeah. One of the things I noticed that he's very good at not actually doing real world references, but he keeps the comparisons really vivid enough to kind of get the picture of how things are, um, set up. You know, you can kind of see it, even though he doesn't actually say, this creature is like a butterfly. He actually says, you know, these flying, um, the flyers and things like that. But he describes them in a way that you can still get a, an image, even if he doesn't mention the real world, which I thought was really interesting. Like, he doesn't say this is like a butterfly, but you kind of get an image of something sort of like a butterfly with two proboscises or something like that, you know? Right. I thought that there, was very was, good. Right. Like, there's he makes it very makes you very aware that there is the planet is teeming with life mm -hmm. his his writing is it, it kind of paints that palette of you know hey this is there's stuff going on there's creatures everywhere um you know you have those it's kind of like um kind of goes along with the movie as well like the the mm -hmm. film it has you have your scenes where there's all these little background creatures and little montage of tiny little puppets in the bushes. And I like how he did that. And it also the short films touched a lot on those. It's yeah, it nice. Me back to the opening scene where we see Jen for the first time uh, in the wild there. It kind of painted that picture for me and I felt like, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm revisiting a place I've, I've heard of once before. 
and even for people who haven't read the movie, who haven't watched the movie, it's kind of nice that you can see what he's talking about and still follow it. Because I felt like he felt he painted such a vivid picture that even if you haven't seen the movie, you can kind of get an idea of what these things look like. So that really impressed me too. Yeah. Um, something I want to point out before we actually go into the the storyline, um, we actually, and I think I mentioned this before during the creation myths discussions, but. Jen and Kira really have no reflection on what Gelfling culture really is. Kira was raised by the Podlings. She does remember her mother pushing her into a tree, and she might remember more before that. From you know, there's probably more that we hadn't seen in the dream fasting scenes. But you know, Jen only remembers the shadow and his master lifting him up during a Gartham raid. So. All we know is of the Gelfling ruins and then what the Podlings have taught Kira and maybe what the Uru have taught Jen, but really we know nothing about Gelfling culture as of yet. So J.M. Lee actually is writing Gelfling culture. Like he is creating that, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, we no, no, no pressure, J.M. Lee. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and and that's the thing I sort yeah. of you liked about um I guess especially with the Galfling Gathering document that sort of um helps, you know, uh knowing what um what different cultures are. Um but it's also in um I mean it is actually also um in the book um at the end in the appendix section uh which gives you a description of all the um different uh Galfling clans um and um yeah, yeah, I just yeah. Uh, so it's it's nice to sort of have that um, uh, uh, yeah, details. And I guess the, the glossary as well. Uh, I guess for people who are new to um, uh, reading Dark Crystal for the first time, um, I mean there there are some you know some things in the glossary that we've you know haven't heard of, but you, know, you got your familiar terms like Landstrider and um, uh, well, they each have a they each have a sigil um, animal. Mm. Is that how that's mm-hmm. yeah. yeah? At the so. very least, that gives you a framework to kind of build things on, which um, he definitely builds on the Drenchen clan a lot. I mean, it, it gives you a framework, but at the same time, you have to put your own imagination into it and, you know, make it really come alive. And I think that this book really does that. The important thing to remember is that we're seeing now the Gelfling clans at the height of their civilization, whereas in the Dark Crystal, we saw them just, you know, whatever was left after the Skeksis were done with them. So we Which get this, wasn't much, yeah. wasn't. So yeah. we the curtain pulled back wide, and although the focus, as Nancy said, is on the Drenchen, we get to hopefully see all or, you know, a good overall picture of what the Gelfling are up to and how they actually lived instead of, you know, mm-hmm. two survivors in Jen and Kira. So I'm really looking forward to the rest of the series for that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably something that's, yeah, be, um, yeah, sort of unique to this book series is really going deep into the, the Gelfling culture from, from their point of view, um, essentially. Um, compared to the, I guess the other stories, whereas um, creation myths has always been from the storyteller's uh, point of view, 
Um, I mean, he still had, you know, still had a, you know, quite a few, um, you know, Galfling stories in the mix. Um, but this is probably, yeah, sort of the first story where, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we're going to get deep into it and, um, see how they go about it. Yeah. Um, I also like how Jamley chose the Drenchen tribe, the Drenchen clan to be the main character. Because when I read all the descriptions of the Gelfling, like that one was probably one of the strangest and most unappealing. Mm. And as we, you know, read in the book, yeah. the other Gelfling clans kind of, you know, kind of think of them as dirty and kind of lower class and not important and things like so that. Sh- and it's almost like she- the Skeksis aren't too aware of them as well. They seem almost like the underdog clan to me. Yeah. 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 Isolated. And it's... and JM made them, created them as an isolated clan. And it's almost like this main character is, is it Naya or Naya? I've been thinking Naya, but I know JM's done readings. I don't know how he pronounces it. but I think we can go with Naya. I feel good about Naya. Naya? Okay. Naya, Naya it is. And yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, because I, I was thinking it was Naya as well. Like the Sorry N-A- if you're getting it wrong, Joey. <laughs> uh, we don't know. I think I think Naya sounds pretty good, though. Yes, yeah. Well, this this uh, is an excellent place to be in terms of having a main character because you have somebody who is not familiar with all of the other Gelfin clans. Now, this is the most isolated clan. Mm, and this just like Jen. Yeah, exactly. Only this is... You know, she's heard of them at least. You know, she's not completely ignorant. Uh, being the, you know, one of the most important um, people in the clan in terms of, you know, who she's the daughter of. Right. Um, we see this isolated clan, which is really the outsider motif. And we get to see this person travel where, you know, she's never traveled before and see the sights with her. So it's, you know, the perfect way to carry the reader along with the story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's a I great guess, point, man. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, just like you know, Jen. Like somebody said, Jen is the same way, right? So are we as the reader, right? We've never seen these people before, so I think it's a good, um, a good person to take us through. I think it's a good point, Peter. Mm-hmm. And I think we should. I mean, as we go along, we should go ahead and, and describe these Gelfling clan. For I mean, of course, I don't think people would be listening to this unless they've read. Or I mean, they they're. Listeners are aware that there are going to be spoilers in these podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. So there will be spoilers. So, yeah, in, in case if you, you know, if you haven't read the book yet, you know, definitely check it out, read it, and then uh, come back to the show to um, to listen to our thoughts and discussions. So um, to go into that, the Drenchen clan is um, it's a race of amphibious Gelfling. They wallow in the putrid swamp of Sog deep in the southernmost reaches of the Scarith region. Um, they're fatter and hairier than the rest of their race. And the Drenchen were powerful in combat, but generally preferred to keep to themselves. Uh, they're one of the smallest Gelfling clans. They have the largest sense of clan pride. They're, um, they were loyal to one another, but remain as distant from other clans as possible. They have a, Their sigil animal is a muskie, is that the eel? I can't I remember if that was so. the eel or not. Um, yeah. That eel um, is our new fizz gig. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Head of Naya. 
Um, and um, he's kind of kind of small from what they describe them growing up to be. They they can be as large enough for a young gelfling to ride atop. Yeah, and I believe and they do fly. And I believe the oldest known muskie was said to be as wide as the Black River. Um, so I think it'd be interesting. Yeah, like nice. um, throughout the story, um, just I know just how big the um, uh, the niche um, the muskie. Um, uh, grows, you know, throughout throughout the time. Um, so that's probably something to, yeah, watch out for. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and then each of the Gelfling clan have a Madra, which is the the mother leader um, is probably the best way to describe it. Madra actually means mother mm-hmm. in Gelfling. And uh, it's Lacid, which is Naya's mother. And she's known as the Blue Stone Healer. And this book kind of goes into the fact that these the different Gelfling clans also have different powers of their own not just the the power of dream fasting but she has a healing power which emits a blue light and Naya also has this ability and she's uh, being the daughter of the Madra she is actually going to be the next Madra she's next in line to be the mother of this Gelfling clan yeah, though it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, at this point of time, that um, I think I think from reading, I think chapter one that she um, she probably wishes to be a soldier um, or someone other than a, a, a besides a Mordra. Um, probably, I guess, jealous about um, uh, her brother, um, that he got to be you know, the castle guard um, for the crystal and and whatnot. Yeah, I think it's I'm trying one of the to find things name. that makes her very appealing is the fact that, you know, it's like she's kind of born into this responsibility that she doesn't didn't really want. She kind of wanted to see the world and actually be something different than what was expected of her. And um, that's one of the things she somewhat she feels this obligation to do it, but at the same time, she's rebelling against it, which is really interesting to me. I mean, um, yeah, she longs to go outside yeah. of her village, um, just like Jen longed to go outside of the valley. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, there's that similarity to the movie. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, one of the examples is, you know, um, that she's never seen the ocean um, when, uh, when, uh, Naya's uh, conversing with uh, uh, Tavra um, about it. So, um, uh, and her yeah. brother's name is Gurgen. Gurgen is the way I was pronouncing that. Yeah, Gurgen. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So basically, um, yeah. So yeah. So Tavra. Um, yeah, she visits the Drenching Clan, and then. And so Tavra see, is yeah. a Vapra. Yes, yeah. And Vapra is, um, let's see here, it's a, a Unimoth is their sigil animal. We, we haven't met one yet. We don't know what that is. Uh, Mayrin is their Madra, and she's known as the All Madra. She's like the main, uh, she's the main Madra of all the Gelfling clans. Mm-hmm. So out of the seven mm-hmm. Gelfling clans, there is a main clan, and that is the Vapor clan. Um, it's a beautiful race with white hair, fair skin, and gossamer winged women. Considered the oldest of the Gelfling clan, the Vapor resided in cliffside cliffside villages along the northern coast, making their capital in Harar, 
the Vapor's Madra, Mayrin, doubled as All Madra, matriarch leader of all the Gelfi clans. Uh, Vapor was were skilled at camouflage. They're now I'm still not sure how to pronounce this. They're Vilyaya, Vilyaya. I'm I'm not sure Vili, how to pronounce that. Vilyaya, 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 Vilyaya. They focused on light changing yeah. magic, allowing them to become nearly invisible. So apparently they can become transparent or invisible. Or... They were the camouflage. They have a yeah. camouflaging power. Yeah. Yeah. No. Which and is a, this. Yeah. My theory is that Kira is a descendant of the Vapor Clan because of her, you know, fair skin and blonde hair. Yeah, an ability. Yeah, yeah. I get that feeling before. too. Do y'all think that Jen was one of the Drenchen Clan? You know, I thought about that. Like maybe he didn't have dreadlocks because he was never in a sog. He ma, you know, in a sog. Mm -hmm. But um, I just Honestly, think about where he's placed, you know, with the mystics and whatnot, but I didn't know if that was... I mean, obviously, he's been moved since the garden. Well, the Honestly, thing is, is that he doesn't I have gills. <laughs> I think, yeah, and he's not the green issue or the gray issue. I honestly think he might have been more of a Jara Jin descendant. There's a long... Later in the chapters, there's a long song about Jara Jin. So he would be still... And his would. name is Jin. <laughs> you know, right. I, I think that there's definitely a connection there. Yes, it would be Stonewood. Um, the Stonewood clan is where Jarajen is from. So it's, um, and I, I mean, guess what? Since we're talking about it, we might as well mention it. Their sigil animal is the Fizzgig, their Madras, uh, Farah, the rock singer. Um, the clan was proud, ancient people who dwelled on the fertile lands near and within the dark wood. They made their main home in Stone in the Wood, the historical home of Jara Jen. Many Stonewood Gelfling would, were valuable guards at the Castle of the Crystal. They were farmers and cobblers and makers of tools, and they um, they were inventive but pastoral, like their sigil animal, and they were peaceful but fierce when threatened. Mm -hmm. So they really don't go into too much of a physical description, but I mean, yeah, with Jara Jen being from Stonewood and Jen possibly being a descendant of Jara Jen, then yeah, I mean, that makes yeah. sense. It well, just also, seems like a good connection see. to me. Go ahead, Nancy. No, that, that's what I was, just what I was saying, that it seems like a good connection. It kind of ties the movie into the books, which... It just makes me think that Jin was probably of the Stonewood clan and possibly even a descendant of that character. I could be wrong, but, you know, it just seems almost like an obvious connection to me, even with the names. So well, that, that's just what I think. Pull a fast one on us because nobody likes to be predictable, but I'm betting on the no. Sifa because the Sifa are known to be very lucky. And quite honestly, Jen in the movie was really, really, really lucky. <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. Very true. I like the Sifa clan. That's um, that so the, well, what I read about in the story. <laughs> uh, to go back to that word, uh, Vilya um, literally means blue fire, which is Gelfling life essence. And then Vilyaya or Vilyaya literally means flame of the blue flyer, 
fire. I'm sorry, flame of the blue fire. And it's the Gelfling mystic arts. So here we learn that they have this mystic art, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Well, we kind of see with multiple clans, they've got some kind of like magic abilities, right? That we don't really yeah. see in the film, honestly. No, and, and neither with like creation myths. Um, so I think, I believe this is the first time they sort of establish, right. I guess, the the aspect of magic, you know, with the Gelflings. Um, yeah, which is, yeah, pretty, pretty neat. That's which ties into their essence you know their, that word of their gulfling mystic power is is uh, a, from you know it contains the word that means essence yeah um and so i i guess yeah so basically um uh like in in chapter two so and also i think the other thing that was interesting in, in chapter two was um the mention of um you know we got the three sons and also we got the three uh, the three moons. Um, yes, and he mentions yeah. those a couple of times. Um, there's a in the video game The Dark Crystal that came out in the early '80s, the Apple IIe game, uh, Roberta Williams Sierra Adventure. Um, there's a little riddle. I can't really remember the exact wording, but there's a riddle that you have that you get from Ursu that you have to tell the answer to Augra about. And it talks about the brothers' sons and the daughter moons, and it's. I think the answer is daughter moons, but yes, it, yeah. it all goes into that. So he kind of ties it into that old video game too. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Didn't notice. Uh, didn't realize about that. So yeah, um, and, and the world. I mean, even the world of the Dark Crystal book with the Book of Augra, it doesn't go into Gelfling culture that much at all. No, like, no, all it really mentions is what we know from the film, which is not much at all. And so, it, I kind of like the to think of these novels as like painting the Gelfling, like giving us the background of the Gelfling. Because here it is, we have this main character, and we really know nothing about Jen and Kira. Yeah, yeah, or or their ancestry yeah. or anything like. That. Yeah. And then I just, I just had a thought if, um, you know, there's, you know, you got the great conjunction with the, uh, you know, with the three sons. I wonder if there's actually, be interesting if there's been one where it's like, you know, that version, but with three moons aligned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder what, what would happen. It's, it's called the, uh, yeah. it's called the, it's called the medium conjunction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we do have lesser conjunctions and minor minor conjunctions mm. and great conjunctions. So I guess we could have a. Yeah. I don't know if they would just call it a lunar conjunction or. Yeah. yeah. I I wrote in my notes as the great moon conjunction, but that's probably a bit of a lame name. Mm-hmm. Um, the lunar conjunction. Yeah. yeah. yeah the lunar conjunction. <laughs> I like yeah. That one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I liked that about them having triple uh, suns and triple moons. That seems interesting to me. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um. There's a lot of triples mentioned in this. It's like um, in a later chapter, they have a dream, and he's it's talking about having someone on one hand and one one on the other. And I was thinking that's three people. It's the number three seems to be something that recurs in a lot of these stories, which I thought was also interesting. I think that keeps in line with the mythology, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's all kinds of three symbolisms throughout the film. If you, I mean, the lamps in Skektek's, um Chamber of Life, there's three lights within it. And then 
Oh. I mean, there's just threes everywhere. Awesome. Well, the number has many balanced connotations to it. So um, even if you just look at it in terms of story, you know, having a main character with two supporting characters or three main characters, uh, it's very easy to balance between them without actually focusing on just one. So, you know, love triangles, uh, it's a great number to work with in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm just trying to think, um, and also I guess like in, in twos as well, I mean, you got the mystics and the Skeksis and I guess in the story, um, we got, um, Naya, Nia and Gurgen and they're, they're, and they're actually are both, uh, twins. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah. So yeah, works in yeah threes and twos or twos and threes um there was an interesting line that um is it late oh i can't think of her name um Lacid, the madra of the clan her mother um when they when they were talking about um her brother he was a little fearful about going to the castle and they said that it would probably scare some wings on him and I thought that was the interesting little possible foreshadowing of an explanation of how the ruins had the wall of destiny had a male with wings. Like maybe it's possible for a male to have wings, but it's just not that common. Like maybe, yeah. maybe it's not gender identifying. Even though mostly women have wings. It doesn't really have wings, though. I kind of thought of it as, you give the, you know, modern term, but, you know, it's sort of like put would put hairs on his chest type thing. Right. Or put, in this case, since it's of the opposite gender, put hairs on her chest. It's kind of what I was thinking. You know, it was... It seemed almost like it was not poking fun at him per se, but kind of, you know, kind of doing that reversal. Because in um, one of the interesting things about Govling society is it's matriarchal. So right. putting wings on his back kind of makes it sound like you'd be almost in a better role by doing that, you know, mm-hmm. make him a little bit more powerful in a sense, which is what I got exactly. from it at least. Mm-hmm. Right, and I and I did see that, but then I also thought, well, maybe he might go into a little bit more depth because at some point he is going to explain the Wall of Destiny in these in these books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's sort of yeah like that. where I might yeah lead to um to the yeah the the Wall of Destiny prophecy. Um, but yeah, it'll just be a wait and see um when that comes. Um, and so. And so, I so, probably, yeah. so can we get, like kind of go more into the storyline? Yeah, um, de- definitely. I, I think like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, because it opened up with um, with Tavra and she's the Vapra. And um, we find out that Naya has been watching her. I guess she was out. I don't know if she was out and about and she was kind of like scouting to protect the village or if she was just out and about and saw Tavra. But she's been following her kind of secretly trying to she didn't want to approach her and help her. She just kind of wanted to see what was going on. She was a little standoffish and followed her to the village and coming to find out Tavra wants to, you know, 
see the all the the madra and um there's apparently there's a reason why she's there and you know we find out that it was because you know it it, it pertains to her brother uh, yes so i don't know if it, if it, you know if people want to I don't want to just take up the whole discussion. <laughs> oh no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't mind no. at all. Like, no, no, uh, it's it's all good, yeah. But come to find out, her her brother was with um, another Gelfling who fled the castle. Yeah, Rian, yeah, and Orion. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rian, which is he is mentioned in the Gelfling Gathering. So there's this whole um, note from him. From the Gelfling yeah. gather, or from the Gelfling Gathering PDF, where he talks about how the Skeksis, um, they're they're not telling the truth. They're they have this chamber of life, and they're doing these horrible things to Gelflings. And it's it's he's mm. basically found out the truth of what the Skeksis are doing to Gelflings about taking their essence and whatnot. And he has fleed the castle to spread the word. And so the Skeksis have gotten in touch with the Madra of Vapra to send a soldier. We find out that she's actually mm-hmm. a soldier. Tabra is a soldier to the Drenchen clan to find out where he is because they're looking for him and they figured, well, he probably fleed back to the village. And I thought that was interesting, too, because they were looking for any allies of his as well. So... They may have not known specifically about his sister, but I almost feel like they were kind of going to look for her. Maybe well, we also know that they haven't been taking censuses of the Drenchen clan. Mm-hmm. So the Skeksis aren't really interested in them just yet, but now that a Drenchen has actually fleed, because a Skeksi hasn't even visited the Drenchen clan as far as Naya knows. Mm-hmm. And um, it's done a list, probably. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, probably the drenching will be on the last of the list <laughs> um, with the whole yeah. census thing. Yeah. So. Um, well, I I found it interesting that we're immediately introduced uh, at the start of this book, uh, the first few chapters, to a Gelfling soldier. So we have this Harrison mm-hmm. who Naya, who you know is not a soldier. And then we have her meet somebody whose, you know, um, job and life is, you know, warfare in a sense. And we don't really get a sense of what, you know, a soldier means in terms of being a Gelfling soldier. But it, it's right. certain, you know, violence of some kind. And, you know, how does she does, react? Yeah, she carries a sword, so. Yeah. Did anyone else get the impression that Naya and uh, Tavra, that their character foils of each other? They just seem like total opposites to me, but, you know, that might be a little off scale. But I think that some of the characteristics about Naya, like um, the scene where she's actually standing up to the uh, Nebri that's been kind of corrupted by the yeah. uh, dark crystal that she's standing up to it and Tavra is always constantly trying to basically flee from it even if it means leaving someone behind it just seemed to me that their characteristics were almost total opposites and even her clan versus Tavra's clan seemed very opposite to me because Tavra was totally 
just uncomfortable there with the drenching, which was kind of entertaining in some ways. <laughs> well, if you think about it, the, she comes from the Vapora, which is like the oldest and like the top Gelfling clan. And the Drenchen are pretty much, as we know now, is like kind of considered the lowest. So mm-hmm. she she's kind of a snob, Tavra, because yeah, because it, it's it's it kind of um, shows this um, social um, status that the Gelfling clans have amongst one another. Well, it's it's a really neat balance. I'm glad you brought it up, Nancy, uh, because. We have a soldier who is out of her depth, and we have a uh, Sog who is not, because um, they're not exactly foils of each other, but I can see how you would definitely uh, apply that to them if you see you know, them getting together in the swamp, meeting, and like, mm-hmm. well, what's up with you? Why are you carrying a sword? And you know, why are you green? Um, but with the, uh, the soldier versus the essentially a, a healer, um, you have a less physical description, which I appreciated. We could have gone with, you know, uh, Naya's first view of Tavra being a, a beautiful, um, uh, unearthly-like Gelfling, uh, you know, pardon the phrase, but um, a Gelfling who is, you know, completely beyond anything you've ever seen in Sog. And Joseph doesn't paint that picture. He shows us a soldier who is different, which I liked. Right. Yeah. It's like you have this light and almost seems like they could be really delicate um, Gelfling. And then you have this like uh, Gelfling that's more of a, I mean, that she's an earth tone, greenish, uh, grayish, greenish. Um, they're always, you know, in the swamp, in the sog, isolated. They seem to be more earthy, whereas the vapors seem to be more air and light. But then you have this soldier, which kind of, you know, yeah, I like that. Yeah. But she's totally out of her element in the swamp, which Naya almost, it's like, even though she's a soldier and she's supposed to be this powerful gelfling, Naya actually feels sorry for her because she can't figure out what she wants to eat and things like that. And, you know, when she first meets her, she seems weak because she's sitting here slogging through all of this muck and yeah, she took just, the low road. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's what, another thing the drenching are always up in the trees and, you know, jumping from limb to limb and, yeah, but they're also down at the swamp. Yeah. You know? This is exactly yeah. you know, another thing to invest us in Naya. And, you know, show us as readers that, hey, you know, this girl knows what she's doing. The soldier's here, you know, on a mission. But, you know, Naya is looking at the soldier going, what are you, what are you doing? Why aren't you, you know, in charge? Kind of, you, you don't really know where you're at in my home. And so we're starting out from a position of strength and knowledge and familiarity on the side of Naya. So, you know, we're, we're with her. Uh, because of the the way things develop over the first few chapters uh, after she meets Tabra, which I think is brilliant. And also the fact that Naya is of uh, Thra. You know, literally, they're part of Thra. They live in the swamp. They breathe Thra in. So we have right. a very grounded and very relatable character in the main protagonist. Yeah, I think Joseph Another did thing. a good job oh. of... Uh, sorry, brother. Um, 
of connecting us to each, right? Like what connects us to characters in general, I think is mostly at the end of the day, vulnerability, right? So he does a good job of showing us Tavris first. And then in some later chapters, as we start to work through it, we get to see Naya's vulnerability, right? Where she's weak, where she's not strong and where we can say, okay, there's our element that we connect with, with her. And we've seen it even in the parents, you know, of, of Naya in those first couple chapters as well. So I think it's a good touch. Another thing to note about Naya is that she's a late bloomer. She doesn't have her wings yet. And her younger sister does. So that's one of the things that's kind of always on her mind a little bit is that she doesn't have her wings yet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And I guess sort of the big part, I guess, with um, chapter two was um, when um, Nia and um, Tavra, um, when they ex- they um, accidentally uh, dream fast. Um so yeah, there seems to be, I guess, you know, I guess with dream fasting, that sensitivity, um, you know, when, when, you know, with touching one's hand to, to dream fast, um, like, cause I think I mentioned in the chapter that, uh, at Nia's age that she should be able to sort of control, uh, the dream fasting or I was just trying to think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that Naya felt some shame. Yeah, we, we see that discussed in the book of where she felt like a shame that she was unable to control the dream fasting and how she had kind of tapped into to Tavra's yeah. mind there and her thoughts. And I thought that was a really well-placed, uh, awkward moment for them. But, uh, yeah. you know, we start to see how dream fasting works even a little. This is another item that we get to see explored because we've only seen, you know, uh, what we've seen in the film, our kind of limited exposure to dream fasting. So I think it's a good touch. Yeah, I thought this was very interesting that it was um, kind of a metaphor for being a late bloomer because all this stuff that she should be able to control and she should have her wings by now and everything just hasn't happened, you know? And particularly for a female character that's at that type of age is a very common problem. Um so it's one of those things that I thought was very interesting, at least from my well, point I mean, of view. She's, she's our underdog, right? I mean, that's that's who we're mm-hmm. going to be rooting for. Mm-hmm. And we see that in the first couple chapters as we start to, you know, they as they leave the Sog and they come up on the, the Nebri, right? That, that's where we really mm-hmm. first to see real action, you know, true action. And we get to see what Naya's kind of made of in those moments. Mm-hmm. This um, I found I found the chapter that talks about her wings, which I thought was really interesting. It said, swallowing her pride, Naya took the stone's way, a long, twisting tunnel down the foot of the Great Smirth. She ignored the careful glances and smiles from the men and children in the winding passage as she hurried by. She worried about what they might be thinking. Even Eleona's wings had bloomed, and she was one trying younger. Naya pushed the self-conscious thoughts out of her mind. It was only a matter of time, her mother had told her. Coming of age is a journey, not a destination. I thought that was an interesting mm-hmm. message. <laughs> so they had this, yeah, they, so they've had this big feast and um, it's a little awkward for Tavra because the food is different. It's, uh, I guess they're more carnivorous. They eat more raw foods and, and mm-hmm. fish and eel. They eat, or, you know, leaves, vegetarian stuff. But, you know, it's a lot of people... Mm-hmm. I noticed when it comes to a discussion about guffling, it's like, why would they eat meat? Why would they? And it's like, well, 
because that's the sort the cycle of life. Some some creatures yeah. do, some don't. You know, and just because they're on mm-hmm. the and they've got wings doesn't mean that they don't eat meat. But you know, mm-hmm. things doesn't mean they don't hunt. Yeah, they say they they're long distance hunters. They have like staves and bolos. Mm-hmm. And heck, if you think about it, insects in general, not all insects eat leaves. You know. <laughs> Right. Wasps are carniv- carnivorous and have wings. I mean, Brain it's mantis. one of those. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's one of those things that maybe not all of the gelfling ate just fruit. You know, it's kind of hinted at that even like the Sprite clan, even though they seem to eat more fruit, they were the more um, the ones that actually created weapons and things like that, and. Bola is technically a weapon for subduing a prey. It made a lot of sense to me that the Drenchian clan, especially being so isolated and living in a swamp, would be more carnivorous, you know? I mean, lots of swamp creatures are. Well, it makes you wonder about Kira, too. Like, I know that the podlings don't necessarily live in the swamp. It's like you... Kira hangs out in the swamp, and then there's that they take the Black River to the Podling Village. Um, it, you know, Kira is skilled with the bolo whip, as we know. So, is that something that she learned from the Podlings, or is that something that she just picked up? And is it possible that Kira might possibly be a descendant of both both Vapra and Drenchen? Could it be that it, at some point, when all the chaos and all the Gelfling are being hunted, they ended up the the villages or the clans kind of just joined together, and so then they had more interbreeding. I don't. That's an interesting idea because um, in the movie, her wings do kind of looked webbed if you look at them, you know. And they were yeah, talking they about the Drenchen having webbed wings because it made them more made them able to kind of glide through the water more easily and glide uh, through the treetops. But at the same time, they have her sit on the throne, which I got the impression was possibly even the Vapra throne. So initially I thought she was probably Vapra, but the more I thought about it, she does have webbed wings, so it's possible it could even be a uh, product of both. Well, we do have maps from from what the film landscape is and Jen's journey and where those ruins are. And then we also have the map from Shadows, which does it show where all the the different clans live? So we could pinpoint where those ruins are as in comparison to the, how the film is. Well, I know someone someone did an overlay at one point on the Gelf, the Gelfin Gathering group on Facebook. That'd be worth looking into. Now they could could not yet have been built. It, it all depends on you know where the story goes with it. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I I would think like probably later on in future stories, um, they'll probably you know add more of those landmarks and um, locations and a bit more in detail. Um, that sort of thing that I would imagine. This is also the moment in the book where we get the first um, illustration from Corey Godby. Um, it's the illustration of Naya at the 
the feast, um, and she's going to get a plate of food for Tavra because she can obviously tell that Tavra is uncomfortable with all the food that's being passed out. Yeah. 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 Niche on her shoulder. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then it, you can kind of tell that the, the the nose, the face structure is a little bit different than Jen and Kira. I don't know if that was done on purpose. Um, and then, of course, she has her dreadlocks. Mm. So basically, yeah. So when I've had the dream fasting and, and basically, um, uh, they, you know, she, Naya uh, tells her parents about what happened, and and so they decide to try and um, arrange a meeting uh, to talk with um, Vabra um, or Tavra um, about you know about the dream fasting and I guess sort of why she is here. Um, and um, I'm just trying to think. Yes, yeah, with Gurgen, yeah. Um. Just... And Gurgen, every time he comes to visit the village, has always just gone on and on and on about the castle and the Skeksis and how great it is and all this elaborate everything and how exciting it is. And, and, and you know, Naya is very interested, it seems, like, and all that. He gives her a nice little dagger, a jeweled dagger, and she kind of she cherishes this uh, gift that he's given her. Yeah, which is a very nice tie-in to, you know, the, the whole twin idea kind of thing. You know, the fact that she still has this link to him despite his distance. Yeah, and um, and so, yeah, in, yeah, so in Chapter 3, yeah, so Tavra announces that Rian and Gurgen, um, they've been accused uh, by the Skeksis Lords uh, for treason. Yeah, the, the main message from the dream fasting was, find Rian, find Gurgen. And so she, she realized, oh... Tavra, the dream fasting, there's something about my brother. And so I need to tell my parents because this ain't cool. And she's not telling us everything. So this is where it's like, okay, all this formality and everything aside, why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which shows that he's smart and paying attention. We meet uh, Naya's father. As well. Uh, so, um, and basically, I think I'm um, in chapter three. Um, in my notes, um, I think I wrote the castle has been entrusted by the Skeksis since the beginning of time. So, is that something that I don't know? Do Galflings sort of had no knowledge about the Earth Skeks, or has that memory of existence um, disappeared through songs, for example? Because I know in creation myths, um, the Galflings were some of them were present um, when, you know, the splitting of the uh, the crystal happened. Well, um, it was just the two. Yeah, it was two, just galflings, the two galflings, yeah. That were present. And, and they did spread yeah. the word. And so we do, they do know that, they don't know that they were split, that they're of the same creature. Yeah. Um, but they do know of the mystics and the Skeksis. They just don't know that they're connected. Um, but yeah, the yeah. Skeksis, the Skeksis kind of have a, an inkling. And plus, one of them died at mm. the cracking. Well, yes. we could just be looking at a, uh, you know, a, it's hundreds and hundreds of years of indoctrination in terms of the Skeksis telling the same story mm. to the Gelfling. Mm. And I know the Gelfling are not that long lived. So, you know, five, six generations pass, and the Gelfling. 
and go, oh, right, that's what the Skeksis said. Then right. they haven't done anything evil. They've done a lot of good. So we're just going to believe what they said. And, Plus, you know, it's here since the beginning of time. The, the um, Earthskeks didn't seem to want to get involved in the comics. It makes me think that all the information that they've got about the people who are basically the keepers of the crystal are the uh, Skeksis. In fact, many of them think of the Earthskeks as just these horrible monsters because they've never been exposed to them before. Um, so it seems to me that it, even the legends about the, the Keepers of the Crystal have gotten warped over the years, where it's just kind of from the Skeksis' point of view. So they assume the Skeksis are the good ones and that the Earthskeks are going to come in and, you know, be like the hunter, you know, come in and kidnap children and eat them or something like that. I think that was something that was mentioned in the original manuscript about the different uh, clans, that a lot of them thought of the uh, er the Earthskeks as, or not the Earthskeks, the um, Uru, I'm sorry, I've been using the wrong terminology, the Uru as being these horrible creatures and the Skeksis as being the ones kind of protecting them. Mm. I could be wrong yeah, about that, but I, I yeah. think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also, I guess, in Chapter 3, there was a little Easter egg um, with mention of the uh, the Suthu, um, so, um, which was, um, I guess for fans, it was a little Easter egg, um, from the darkcrystal.com, the creator, uh, creature contest, um, that Jeff Brown, uh, won, ah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and named, and I think he, yeah, you named it, the referred to it as a Swoothu and, uh, Jamie Lee sort of incorporated that, um, you know, <laughs> into the story a bit. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of like a very, uh, neat, um, little, little easter egg there um <laughs> yeah and so i guess um in in that chapter so balajin the the father he nominates himself to go to tavra uh for trial and and nia will go well we we yeah. we find out that um the the skeksis have contacted the vapor clan and then the almadra has sent uh, tavra to to look for uh rian and um I can't Gurgen. think of his name. Naya's brother. Gurgen. Gur yeah. Gurgen. <laughs> um, and if they don't, if she doesn't find them, then the next of kin or the closest kin has to go back to Vapra um, to, to stand trial for them. And mm -hmm. so um, Balanji, um, Naya's father said, well, I'm going to go. Um, and Tabra's like, well, you know, Naya, <laughs> It's like, well, Naya can't go because she's going to be the next Madra, and we'll come. It it's decided that they both go. Yeah, because I think um, the mother Lace had, you know, want, wants to see, you know, wants Nia to see more of the world, because um, I don't think she's ever gone. She's always been in the swamp of Sog um, for her entire life, essentially. I mean, she's never been to the ocean, you know, and. Yeah, it's just always been in the swamp uh, for so long. So I guess with this happening, it sort of seemed like, I don't know, almost like a, an opportunity for Nia to, to go and explore more of the world and 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 see other cultures, I guess, you know, the Gelfling cultures, uh, to see more of the world beyond uh, their swampy town. 
And so in chapter four, that when they, um, that's when they, yeah, sort of, you know, start the journey. And um, the, yeah, the, the, I think the big thing was, um, yeah, when they, um, in, when uh, Belgian, uh, uh, Tavra. Well, I like how. Yeah. yeah, you go. I like how Belgian. Um, sorry to interrupt you, but oh, that's I like how he's like, uh, you know what? He he wouldn't have ever done this. He wouldn't have ever fled from the castle. He'd rather be flirting with girls. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, there's no way. He's he has no interest yeah. in all that political stuff. He just wants to flirt with the girls and have a good time. My boy would never do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was actually a little yeah, a little funny moment. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, so yeah, so in chapter four, um they they start their journey and um and then uh yeah, they they encounter very very large nebri. Um and I'm just, now this is yeah. this was yeah. interesting to me because it's like she said it was the it was ten times bigger ten times bigger than the largest nebri she had ever seen, and this um, this nebri has tusks. He's very large. I'm assuming it's a male, but it's like, mm-hmm. do the nebri grow this large, or did this one grow this large because of this um, air quotes poisoning or darkening i had an interesting thought on that it's it's obviously males is probably a little bit bigger but i feel like it's almost like when you think about worms and radiation that kind of thing i get the feeling this thing was not supposed to get nearly this big that to them it was like a monster because it was so different from what they've experienced because if you remember in the movie it the nebri they saw didn't had had babies and it wasn't much bigger than they were so whatever this power right. was that was fueling the crystal seemed to make it extra large and extra aggressive but it was also because it was in pain and we got right. a lot of that from the comic when they were talking about that race that was in pain so they acted out in aggression forgetting the name of that race too but because um, i think the miners <laughs> yeah thank you just the miners would act out in aggression because they were in pain so this thing had been warped to be even bigger than it used to be and in so much more pain than it was like a monster even though it was just a nebri and um it, it kind of makes you wonder about the power of the crystal you know that it was almost toxic, like radiation or something like that, mm. and was actually warping the wildlife. Well, when it when it emerged, I mean, they were running along um, the tree limbs. They were in the trees, and um, mm-hmm. you kind of you kind of he kind of goes into Tavra using her wings and how powerful she is to leap up higher into the trees, and then out of nowhere, the trees kind of. He, he paints that picture of how the trees are alive and they move and whatnot. And so it's like when this when this nebri burst out of the out of the swamp, um, all the trees wince in pain and kind of freak out themselves, and it jostles them all. And then, um, you know, the nebri starts to attack. Mm-hmm. And that's that, this is I the like next the next image, the next image from Corey, which I thought was really nice. This 
I didn't even know it was a Nebri when I first saw this. It was, it's big. Um, Balangi, Balangi, he's um, got his staff out. He's getting ready to fight it. Um, Tavra's got her sword out. Naya's in the back with Nietzsche. It's it's an interesting image. And it's a little slightly different than the one in the um, in the gala copy uh, or the gala copy. It's uh, in the gala copy. Um, Tavra's wings are out. You get to see her wings. That's a nice detail. Very mm-hmm. interesting, yeah. And so, I, yeah. I just found it funny, and if you'll pardon the comparison, that in the Dark Crystal they were eating Nebri, and this Nebri is trying to eat them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. <laughs> uh, yeah. And and so um, I'm just uh, so yeah, Balanji gets hurt. Or this is this is where we find out what's going on. I mean, the, the Nebri's eyes are glowing purple. Yeah, There's like a purple violet, tint to yeah. him. When she looks into the mm-hmm. eyes, it's kind of like like they're dead. Like she can see right into it. Or it's just I can't can't remember how they describe it. But and she also, when she's under the water, sees the vein of crystal with a, right. a light in it. So I mean, we tie so here, to the Nebri. Yeah. So here we we know that the crystal kind of connected to the world through these slivers of crystal that go through Thra. Mm-hmm. Um, Tavra kind of hints at the fact that she thinks that something is wrong with the core of Thra. She doesn't go into a great detail, but it's like she's kind of thinking something has to be wrong here. If you saw a vein of Thra and it, you know, was corrupted in this way, you know. Well, she's mem- we know she's almost like the- hypnotized by it. It's like she's yeah. she's hypnotized by it, and then she realized, oh, um, I've kind of lost track of time here. Well, yeah. that was Naya, but um, Tavra seems to when Naya tells her about it, seems to think, okay. Something is wrong with. She doesn't say something is wrong with the crystal, but she seems to realize there's a corruption in the heart of Thra. Naya doesn't seem to pick up on exactly what she means, but clearly she's suspicious that something is going on, which I thought was good foreshadowing for later. And and Naya can sense that the animal's in pain, and she mm-hmm. instead of instead of running like Tavra wants her to do and and fighting it, she actually goes up to it to kind of console it. Mm-hmm. And it seems like she touches it to almost try to dream fast with it in a way to figure out what's wrong. And it kind of calms the beast. And then it dies. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I thought that was one of the big differences between her and Tavra was the fact that she... Even though she was scared of it, and even though she knew it was dangerous to protect the others, she was trying to draw it away, and she actually was the one to approach it. Well, meanwhile, Tavra was trying desperately to, you know, she was trying to to save Belanji, but it was like, at the same time, she was just trying to get away from the creature. <laughs> so well, it's like the uh, it's like the good comparison of the warrior versus the healer, right? The warrior is built to survive. Uh, and or kill if need be, and the healer is meant to connect and, you know, kind of uh, meet mm-hmm. them where they're at and heal whatever the pain actually is. So I thought that was a good comparison again, even in that 
heated moment for those two and, and their personality and or clan styles. Yeah. Well, that's Here's... also might be a good theme to set for the books is that, well, you can't fight it. You have to find another way. This is what's happening. So, you know, Naya found a way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, Balanji, yeah, well, he, here's, yeah, go ahead. Here's the thing about that crystal thread I wanted to go into. It says, below the gray and black, there was a ripple of light, a sparkle of violet. She cleared the area and saw a crystalline vein running through the rock. Though it was only a thread's width, she found herself squinting instinctively as if her body knew that the source, however distance it, distant it was, was so bright it might blind her. So it's it's a it's a really small thin sliver, but it's it's blinding and it it almost it kind of captivates her and hypnotizes her almost. It's almost like it's it's going to affect her like it affected the Nebri, and she kind of snaps out of it and realizes, oh, <laughs> yeah. And so I mean, you know, unfortunately, um, Belangi, um, the father, got injured badly, um, wounded. And so in, in chapter five, um, that's when they, um, sort of, well, they, they all sort of feel the need to go back, uh, you know, send the father back to the Swamp of Sog to be healed by, um, Lacid, um, the old Mordra. Though, uh, now, did we find yeah. out that Lacid lost a leg? Like she only has one leg. Is that correct? That I thought that was strange too because I didn't remember any mention of it from the previous chapters. But he did say something like, "If she can lose a leg, I can get this minor wound." And I'm like, "Right." Did she only have one leg, or did she actually? It makes you wonder: Did she actually almost lose a leg, or lose a leg and actually heal herself? Because she did have the power to do that. We also never, never. He never mentions her walking around. She's always like in a hammock or seated. True. Or, you know. That that might be a thing. I I just never uh, picked up on it until um, the second reading, and I was like, that's interesting. So it makes you wonder if she just does have one leg, or if um, or if it's something that she healed up, like a grave injury that almost took her leg. Well, and here I we love in this find moment. out that Naya has that power. Right. I, I love in this moment how we get to see Belangia, like, just the classic, he's like, hey, are you okay? You seem to be bleeding out. He's like, oh, I'm fine. It's fine. But seriously, y'all better take me home. It's only a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hush. Like, I need my, my pipe. <laughs> what was this pipe made of? A Nebri tusk? Is that what it was? A... It's made out of pride, Bland. So. Pure pride. <laughs> Well, it's it's a good thing that you know the Madra, who is you know one of the greater healers in Thra, it seems, isn't able to heal everything. So we do see that there are some limitations. So it's not magic as much as a natural ability for that particular clan, and it's not capable of working you know miracle level things, but it can still do a lot. So it sets sort of ground rules for it. It says, if, if she were here, it would be much better. I've only just started learning Vilyaya from her. So she, Naya does have, the, have that power, but she's just learning it. So he, he needs to, Belanji needs to get back to his wife. 
he's, he's still bleeding. So not only has Belongi been wounded, scratched by a simple nebrius, as he referred to it, um, but um, Tavra has also broken a wing, which or it's knocked out of joint or socket, and she she restraightens it, and she you know it's gonna heal. Her wing is fine, but she can't fly anytime soon. So there's a big argument about who's gonna continue on to the the vapor village and who is going to go back with Belongi. And so they, after a little coercing, it's Naya is going to be the one to continue the jury journey. Uh, Tavra actually wants to go back and let, let the vapor know about what she saw in the bottom of the swamp, how this thread of crystal was all purple and this Nebri was somehow possessed or poisoned. Yeah. And, and yeah, like, um, so yeah, Nay decides to go alone and head forth to see the Almadra about the trial, um, of her brother. And, um, and that just as something that, that it's her priority more than ever and feels a delay would sort of hinder, um, hence, yeah, why she decides to, yeah, sort of go forward, I guess. And I kind of mm. like this, um, and yeah, go ahead. The way she shows her the way is through dream fasting. Yes, I was about to say yeah. that actually. Yeah, I really like the um. I I felt like it was a great you know plot device. You know, it's sort of dream faster directions um to near how to how to get there. Um, almost like an alternative to actually having a map. So whether it's like instead of having <laughs> like maps a, back yeah. then, they would just dream fast directions. It's like ah oh, mental GPS. It. Yeah. <laughs> I think that- it's almost Throughout like the Matrix. Sh- like, let's download how to fly a helicopter. Okay. Here yeah. <laughs> Throughout this whole uh, book, J.M. Lee does some really interesting things with dream fasting. I don't know if anyone else uh, thought this, but when she touches the Nebri, she actually, even though it's an animal and she can't get any real things from it, it's almost like she dream fasts with it because she gets a vision of what it's feeling and why it's feeling it. Well, and you, I thought from, that was interesting. Well, according to the world of the Dark Crystal, you can also dream fast with objects, which is how mm-hmm. he ended up with the Book of Augur, the manuscript, J.J. J. J. Llewellyn, the the mystery writer of <laughs> the world of the Dark Crystal book. But he, um, he dream fasted with the fragment of the Wall of Destiny that he found, and that's how he mm-hmm. learned all this stuff about the world. So, yeah, you could There's... even dream fast with objects and things. Yeah, there's a lot of that that goes on. I'm not going to spoil anything for you, Bland, but there's a lot of that that goes on in this book that he uses dream fasting in a very interesting sort of way, I thought. And, you know, it's like that accidental dream fast. They got all this these visions of things that she wasn't meant to see, and then when they actually, I guess you could say consensually dream fast, she's able to kind of show her the way mm-hmm. and, you know, not leave any of those things in, which is also interesting. Well, and that's another thing going into the whole thing about Gelflings. We really don't know much about them. Mm-hmm. The only dream fasting we really know is about what Jen and Kira did, which was also accidental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sure was. Just, yeah. yeah, Very true. Yeah. Um, but then they also do like a in the movie they also do like a long distance dream fast where Kira is being drained of her essence and she calls out and you know Jen calls out and is like Kira fight them fight 
So there's almost like a mm -hmm. long distance dream fasting at sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I guess really, I mean, at the end of the, at the end of that chapter five, that, um, her journey now begins alone, um, which is sort of a nice little, um, parallel to, um, to Jen, you know, in the, in the dark crystal. But then I did mm -hmm. thought about that. I mean, Nia does have niche, but, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, just a little thought about that. Yeah. That's true. It does seem a lot like, um, there are some parallels there because she's out of her element element now too. And she refers to a lot of the times, like thinking of her swamp, thinking of Sog and thinking, gee, it's almost like just wondering what her, her sisters are doing and what her mother's doing and feeling just totally out of her element and missing her hammock and missing each and every ape knot tree and things like that, which, um, you know, kind of make you feel for her because she's homesick. And Jen was the same way. He was out of his element and didn't know anything but basically living with the Uru and totally on his own. So um, I guess that we'll, I guess we'll uh, wrap up the discussion of Shadows of the Dark Crystal uh, with chapters one to five. And stay tuned for future episodes as we'll continue discussing more about um, Shadows of the Dark Crystal. So, first of all, I just want to say thank you to everyone for participating in this roundtable and really look forward to having you back uh, for future discussions to come. So, I just want to say, yeah, so thanks, Peter. And, uh, and, and first of all, uh, Pete, how can, um, for any listeners out there, um, how can people uh, find you? Uh Thank you for having me, and um, my website, you can find me for my trilogy I'm working on, is thedwimsaga.com, that's D-W-I-I-M-S-A-G-A.com, and uh, you can follow along as I work my way through the three books. Excellent. And, and, uh, and for yourself, uh, Fish, uh, how can people find you? Uh, you can find me at facebook.com slash fishrocksmusic. Excellent. And uh, Nancy Gray, how can uh, people find you? Thank you for having me. And um, you can find me at nancygray.net, working on a trilogy called Blood Rain with the artwork actually done by J.M. Lee, who is an awesome artist and author. And, um, well, the artwork on the cover. And um, you can also find me at nancygray.blogspot.com and at Facebook at Writer Nancy Gray. You've already taken too long, Delfling. At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls! To the crystal If you like to contact the show you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com to find us on facebook you can do so at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast we're also on instagram at instagram.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast you can tweet at us at darkcrystalpod the podcast is now on patreon so if you go to patreon.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast you can check out some of the rewards that we'll have on offer for anyone that can pledge to the podcast. It'll be greatly appreciated. Also, if you get a chance to review the show, whether on iTunes or Facebook, that'd be fantastic as well, as that'll boost the rankings. 
thank you all so much and come back next month for more The Gathering Songs.